0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. I welcome you to Grace Crossing Church. Wonderful to have you with us this morning. I bring you greetings from the nation of Albania, and particularly the International School of Theology and Leadership, where I had the privilege last weekend of speaking on behalf of Equip Leadership Training Canada, as an international trainer at their uh, School of Theology and Leadership for three days. It was just an honor to be there and and be in that young country where uh, Christianity is just beginning to find traction. Um, For 60 years, Christianity and all religions were governmentally and constitutionally outlawed in Albania. And so at the fall of communism, um, the very first Christian missionaries began to make their way in And there's been a wave of gospel coming there uh, ever since. There are now thousands of believers. In 2011, the government actually recognized evangelical Christianity as a recognized religion in the nation, which was a big deal. And so God's doing wonderful things. And I want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for the support. I felt it while I was there. And I'll tell you that they appreciate Grace Crossing Church very, very much. Thank you so much for loving Uh, the world as God asked us to, and for praying for me uh, as I was there. I want to mention a couple of things before we jump into this series that we're in, entitled Breathe. Um, First of all, I want to mention that tomorrow evening, we're going to be gathering here for one prayer, and we'd love to have all of you join us. This is our monthly one-hour gathering that we have the first of every month, and we'll be gathering here from 7 till 8 for one prayer, and I just encourage you to make plans to join us and be a part of this, it's going to be a wonderful time of coming and seeking God's will, uh, asking for His will to be done uh, here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And so, we invite you to join us. I also want to mention to all of our newcomers that are here: if you're newer to Grace Crossing Church and you've never been to Discover GCC, um, next weekend uh, on Sunday following our second service, our eleven fifteen service. We're going to have Discover GCC for all of our newcomers, and we would love to have you join us. Now, maybe you've been here for a year or two years, and you've never gone to Discover GCC, and you've never kind of found out, like, what's that next step that I can take to plug into Grace Crossing Church? How can I find out more uh, about the vision, the mission, the values that drive the engine of this organization? Well, Discover GCC is that opportunity where you can experience that, and we want to tell you more about who we are, about what we value, about what keeps us up at night, and what wakes us up in the morning here at Grace Crossing Church, and so if you are what we would call a newcomer, never really kind of taken that step to get involved, Discover GCC would be your next step, and we would invite you to do that, to make plans to register. You can do that today, either at the connection card. You can drop it off in one of our giving boxes or out at the Connection Center, or you can do it online directly at the registration link from our landing page. So either way that you would choose to do that, we would encourage you to do that. Today is the final day to register for this upcoming Discover GCC. So if you are planning to join us, please do so uh, today and make plans and let us know that you're planning to be there. Now, I've discovered over the last... um, number of years that I do not see as clearly as I used to see. And so a couple of weeks ago, um, I actually swallowed my pride, and I got my very first pair of reading glasses. Yeah, this is a big moment, because I'm actually going to put them on for you. Now, these may not be the coolest glasses, and you're all blurry right now. But these may not be the the hippest glasses in town, but I can tell you that it beats pulling out my iPhone flashlight to read the menu in restaurants. I can actually now see fine print in, in dimmer lighting, and I'm grateful. And I think when it comes to the topic that we're focusing on in this series, the topic of the Holy Spirit, most of us need to put on a new pair of lenses. Many of us in this auditorium need God's help to have a vision and to see what God has for us when it comes to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Author Francis Chan calls the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. And I think that's really significant. Because we often think about God the Father... And we often think about Jesus Christ, God the Son, but the third person of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity, kind of gets lost theologically, depending on what our framework is, depending on what our church background is, and and many times influenced by whatever theological leaning that we have. And so what we need to do is we need to come to the Scripture with a fresh pair of lenses, We need to see things more clearly as Paul prayed about the Ephesian church when he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, filled with light, so that you will know all of the good things, all of the hope that God has for you here on this earth. So where does the Holy Spirit begin? The Holy Spirit was active in creation. And all through the Bible, we see the work and the person of the Holy Spirit Showing up, but it was when Jesus Christ came that He actually began to speak more clearly about the third person of the Trinity, about how the Holy Spirit was going to empower us and enrich our lives. And following His resurrection, Jesus, over a period of 40 days, appears multiple times in various ways and in various places to not only His disciples but to others that he wanted to show himself to, that he was alive. And on one of those occasions, something really unusual takes place. Something that would have seemed odd to the disciples. Something that would have confused them when it first occurred. We actually read about it in John's Gospel. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. Now, don't miss these next words. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that word breathe is a very unusual word in the Greek New Testament. In fact, this is the only time in the entire New Testament that this word appears. We see it and read about it no other place in Scripture. So this is a very Unique moment. And the word breathe, though only used one time in the New Testament, was used in other Greek literature, including from author Aristotle, who actually uses this very same word and means when he uses it to inflate. So think balloon. When Aristotle uses the word inflate, he's talking about breathing into something an inanimate object, to bring it to life, to fill it with something. There is also an illustration of this word. It is a uh, variation of a word that we read about in the Old Testament. It actually is read about in the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, uses a Hebrew word that this is a derivative of. And here's what he what genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says god breathed in his nostrils and man became a living soul what happened adam was dirt he was clay he was simply a lifeless formation until God took his breath and breathed into his body, and the Bible says he all of a sudden was born. So what is happening here in John's Gospel? What is happening is the second Adam, the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is actually turning the tables. What happened at birth for Adam in the garden is now happening in new birth for the disciples. This is the very first time that we read about and experience this idea of being born anew. It is Jesus coming to his disciples and doing something. He breathes his life inside of them. And all of a sudden, there is a radical transformation that is taking place in their lives. In this series, we are talking about how the Holy Spirit is actually God's breath. It is God's expression being poured into our lives to fill us, to make us complete, to empower us and enable us to be everything that God desires us to be. Last weekend, Pastor Life did a marvelous job of talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. If you were not here last weekend, it was a rich message, and I would urge you to go to our podcast and listen to it, because it gives you a theological understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. When Jesus came, he made a promise to us, and the promise was that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he is not coming to you empty-handed. He is actually coming to you with his hands loaded with gifts. Lots and lots of gifts that he wants to bestow upon you. Now as a child, following my parents' divorce, I only remember one visit with my father. That visit actually took place just a few short months later at the very first Christmas following my parents' divorce. And there are two things in particular that I remember about my visit to Delaware to visit with my dad. The first thing I remember is a woman other than my mother sitting on his lap. Everything about that moment seemed wrong to me. It was etched into my mind just as if it happened yesterday. The second thing I'll never forget were the gifts. The room was filled with gifts. I had gotten a few gifts at Christmas from my mom, who now by this point had us living on welfare. She had no education. But my dad, who never paid child support, this I think was his way of actually giving to us something. And I did not learn until years later that one of the primary reasons we probably never saw our dad was because he never paid a dime of child support. And he knew that when he came to the state of Pennsylvania, that there was the possibility that he could be arrested and that he could be forced to pay back child support. Well, when Jesus Christ came, before he ascended, he made a promise. And the promise that he made is that the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to bring you gifts. Listen, our Heavenly Father loves to lavish his gifts upon us. Jesus said this, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your your children, to your kids, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit full of gifts to those who ask? And so over these next number of weeks, we want to talk about these gifts. We want to talk about spiritual gifts. And depending where you are on the spiritual continuum this morning, This idea of spiritual gifts can be really foreign to you. You may have no idea of what we're actually talking about and what the Bible is speaking about. Stay with us. For some of you here, you have enough church background to make this idea of gifts very dangerous in your life. For still others, you've had an experience with gifts that have left you disappointed or perhaps even disillusioned or or, or to a place where you've begun to even question The validity of God's gifts. And so, wherever we are this morning on this continuum, I'm going to ask us all to begin at the very same place. We're all going to begin this morning at the beginning by answering the question what are spiritual gifts? What are these gifts that the Bible speaks about that God has given to us? Well, let me give you a definition. Spiritual gifts are an ability given to us by God at birth or at new birth for the purpose of serving others in love. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are an ability given to us by God at birth or at the new birth for the purpose of serving others in love. Do not miss those two words. That word love and that word service. You're going to find these woven throughout the fabric of Scripture time and time again. God had a very intentional purpose in filling his disciples with the Holy Spirit. And he had a very intentional purpose about the gifts that were going to come with the Holy Spirit. So Paul, in writing his letter to the church at Corinth, actually begins in the 12th chapter with this statement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. The word uninformed can also be translated ignorant. It means we just simply don't know. And Paul writes to this church that he loved deeply through the inspiration of God's Spirit. And he said, I do not want you to be oblivious to these gifts. I don't want you to be uninformed about them." So God did not want the Corinthian church to be uninformed and God does not want Grace Crossing Church to be uninformed. And I think there are at least three things that God did not want us to be uninformed about. First of all, I think God does not want us to be uninformed about the source of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, tell us the source. They answer the, uh, the where question. From where do spiritual gifts come? And here's what Paul says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Notice, by the way, in these three verses, we have the Trinity. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we also have God the Holy Spirit, because you cannot separate the spiritual gifts from all of God. They are delivered to us by way and by means of the Holy Spirit, but the reality is all of these gifts come from the one God. And so God is the giver of gifts, but God is not Santa Claus. God does not give us gifts based on our most recent behavior or based on our performance. The gifts are given to us because of God's inherent goodness and because of God's inherent kindness. God gives gifts because of God and because of his love and because of his heart. He does not give us gifts because we're good boys and girls. The Bible says gifts are a gift to us, and they are given to us as a spiritual endowment of sorts that come from a God who is super generous. A God who loves to lavish good things upon his children. And so with every gift exchange, there is both a giver and there is a receiver. Make no mistake about it. There is only one giver. And each one of us must do our part to receive from God what he wants to give to us. The reality is a gift has no value or worth unless we receive it, unless we take it, and unless we put it to work in our lives. But God is the source. And and the Bible teaches that he does not want us to be uninformed about the source of spiritual gifts. Secondly, God did not want us to be uninformed about the purpose of spiritual gifts. Verse number 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Please don't miss this. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not so that we can show off. The purpose of spiritual gifts is so that we can serve others. So that we can bring benefit and good And be helpful to other individuals. Now, Peter, the Apostle Peter, in writing his first letter, actually further expounds on this truth. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Let me just hit the pause button there. The Bible here is making clear that these gifts are not achieved. They are received. That's what makes them a gift, is that we can do nothing to earn them. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received, notice it, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. What's the purpose? Here it is. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So the spiritual gifts are not given to us so that we can bring praise to us. They are not given to the church so that the church can draw attention to itself. They are given to us so that all of the attention will point to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Father. It will bring glory to Him. That we will turn the spotlight away from us and on to God. At any time a gift does not draw people to God, we have to ask ourselves, is this the operation? of a gift of the Holy Spirit. If it is not drawing attention to God, then what is its purpose? The Bible makes it very clear that these gifts are given to us as an act and expression of the grace of God. And that each one of us are called to do something with them. Now don't miss this. The gifts do not belong to us, but we will be held responsible for how well we stewarded How faithful we were with the gifts that God has entrusted to us. By the way, this is consistent with many of the parables Jesus taught. Jesus taught time and time again that what is entrusted to us, that we will have to be faithful with it or else what? It could be taken away. And the Bible says given to another. And so gifts are given to us, but they're given to us with only one condition. And that is that we are faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So according to Paul, the spiritual gifts are to make us helpful. Peter takes it one step further and he actually says, yes, to help others, but also to serve others, not to become rich, not to be successful, not to become a person that draws attention to yourself, but rather a person that is serving other people. J. Oswald Sanders actually wrote about this, and I just want to read one very quick quote. He said, This spiritual gifts are, for the most part, gifts of service. Not one of them directly concerns character, they are God's equipment for enabling us for effective service. That is so scriptural. And you, know, here the pro- you don't want to know what the problem with many people is? They want to serve God, but they don't want to serve others. Many people have no problem saying, I want to serve God, but they do not want to serve other people. It doesn't work that way. In fact, according to Scripture, we directly serve God by what? Serving one another. And if we are unwilling to serve one another, what the Bible says is that we are incapable of really serving God the way that he intends. And interestingly, there's a a word that the New Testament uses for this. It's a word that when you hear it, will surprise you because it's been misused and misapplied. And so I want to give you the word, but I want to do it by means of a very little mental exercise. Are you ready for this? I'm going to say the word and I'm going to give you a few seconds to think of the very first image that pops into your head when you hear this word. What comes to your mind when you hear the word ministry? Now most people, when they hear the word ministry, if we did a straw poll this morning, would say, when I hear the word ministry, I think of those who work on behalf of the church. I think of pastors I think of people who are servants in the church. I think of evangelists or missionaries, people who are doing a vocational job of ministry. But here's what's interesting. In the New Testament, the Bible uses the word ministry and serving interchangeably. It's the same word. So is the word minister and servant. Here's what that means. That means not everyone will be a pastor, but every Christian is called to be a minister. Every one of us are called to serve. Every one of us are called to use our lives to what? Serve other people. I think that's really important because here's what it means. You're never going to retire from the ministry and neither am I. Now listen, one day I will retire from being a lead pastor but I will never retire from the ministry. One day you will retire from your job, but you will never retire from the ministry as long as God has given you breath. And as long as you're walking on this earth, you will be in ministry because that word means serving. And that is the very first and most significant thing that you and I have been called to do. So the purpose of these gifts, God wanted us to know was about helping, it was about serving other people. Paul did not want us to be uninformed about the source. He also did not want us to be uninformed about the purpose. And thirdly, he does not want us to be uninformed about the practice or exercise of spiritual gifts. Now what's interesting when you come to the New Testament is you find what we would call several categories of spiritual gifts. When you first read about them, like in Peter, and it talks about the gift of speaking or the gift of serving, we can believe those are the only gifts. But they are just illustrations of the gifts God uses. According to the New Testament, they come in a variety of ways. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different acts of service, but the same God who is working in them. And so there are at least three categories of gifts when we come to the New Testament. And that is not coincidental. Because each one of them are unique expression. Of the Trinity. One package of these gifts comes directly from God the Father. One package of these gifts comes directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And one package of these gifts are delivered to us by means of the Holy Spirit. And it is important that we know all of these packages, that we understand them, that we appreciate them, that we see their value in the body of Christ. So here's the first package that's delivered to us of gifts. We read about it in Romans chapter 12. Verses 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You may want to think of this package of gifts as motivational gifts. They are what motivate us as human beings to do what we do. These are given to us by God the Father. And they are part and parcel with how God has engineered us. What's interesting is Stephen Covey, who's the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, actually wrote another follow-on book called The Eighth Habit. And in that book, he refers to these motivational gifts as our birth gifts. And I like that term. Here's what he says. He says, the power to discover our voice lies in the, pe- the potential that was bequeathed us at birth. latent and undeveloped, the seeds of greatness were planted. We were given magnificent birth gifts, talents, capacities, privileges, intelligences, opportunities that would remain largely unopened except through our own decision and effort. Because of these gifts, the potential within an individual is, is tremendous. We have no idea what a person is capable of. A baby may be the most dependent creation in all the universe, and yet within a few short years, it becomes the most powerful. Don't miss this next statement. He says, the more that we use and magnify our present talents, the more talents we are given and the greater our capacity. Becomes. Yet again, there are parables that Jesus spoke that actually support what Covey is saying. That there are talents that God has enriched our lives with that are placed within us at birth. There are some people that are born to teach. And as they get older, they teach. They do it as children teaching their siblings. We watched our oldest daughter Ashley. She was a teacher as a child. We watched her instructing. Not only her brother and sister, but whenever she was together with other kids, she was teaching. We watched our daughter Aubrey, who actually I believe has a gift of leadership that God has placed in her. That that at the earliest of ages she was the one taking charge of rooms. Organizing things and telling people where they belonged and where to sit and how to stand. And she was giving orders. And then she tried it with me as a dad and it didn't work so well, right? Just didn't work so well. My wife is a teacher. And it's just what she does. And when she teaches, it brings her life. And there are some people that are called to be teachers and they teach because they love imparting knowledge. And others teach because they love children. And you love it when you get the combination working together, right? Love imparting knowledge, but love the kids or the people that you teach. Some people make encouragement look easy, it just comes second nature to them. They don't even need to work or think about being an encourager, they do it because it's how God made them. There are other people that make serving look second nature. When they serve, you want to serve because you think, man, they're doing it so flawlessly and they're making it look so natural. And some people make giving and generosity look like something they've done all their lives. These are things God has placed in them. And the Bible says they are God's grace, again, here, emphasizing the grace of God given to us that we are now called to be faithful stewards of. That's a package of gifts. Now, these can get energized by the Holy Spirit. They can get energized when we come to faith in Christ, but typically they lay within us. They are what motivate us to be who we are. They're given to us by God the Father. The second package of gifts that we read about in Scripture, we, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and it says this, now these are the gifts, notice, Christ, these are gifts given to the church by Jesus Christ. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So this package of gifts we can call ministry gifts. And unlike the motivational gifts that are about motivating us as human beings, this is about motivating God's church to be empowered to become everything and equipped to become everything God wants it to be. God loved his church so much, he didn't only die for it, he gifted it. And the unique thing about these gifts is that these gifts are not person based. These gifts are position-based. They are about an extension of God's authority here on this earth that God gives to certain individuals. Not everybody, unlike all of us having the gift and the responsibility to be a minister and a servant, not everybody will be an apostle. Not everybody will be a prophet. Not everybody will be an evangelist. Not everybody will be a pastor or a teacher. There are people that God has placed in offices to serve the advancement of the cause of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And I think it's important for us to understand and honor those that God has given these gifts to. But here's the challenge for all of us is that we can abuse and misuse these gifts. There are some people that have done just that. There are people that have walked around this planet claiming to be an apostle, claiming to be a prophet. And here's the reality. Nobody needs to give themselves a label when God gives them because everybody will know it. The body of Christ will recognize it. They'll see it for what it is. And those that go around saying, I have been given this ability, this gift, I've been given this office And claim to do this. And I get these emails from time to time pretty frequently. And they come from prophet so-and-so and and apostle so-and-so. And I keep thinking to myself, who in the world has entrusted these people? Have authorized them? If Jesus hasn't done it, then we have no right walking around claiming to have these gifts. These are very unique, specialized office gifts that God has entrusted. For the equipping and the building up of the body to bring us to maturity. And there's one final package of gifts that the New Testament talks about. It's the most misunderstood package. It's the one that is most highly controversial. It's the one that gets a lot of people into trouble. It's the ones that have been misused, misapplied, or neglected. And we read about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. To each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. For one person is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, another the message of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another performance of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Let's go back to the previous slide. To each person, the Bible says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. Now, there are several really important takeaways and things that are noteworthy about this third package of gifts. These are not motivational gifts, these are not ministry gifts. These are manifestation gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the motivation and the benefit of all. And there are several things that I think are important for us to note. Unlike the birth gifts, these manifestation gifts are given at new birth. We are not given these at birth. These are given and entrusted to a person when they are born again, when the Holy Spirit transforms them. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit makes them a new creation. The second thing I think that's important to note is that unlike the ministry gifts that are given by Jesus to build up the church, these are given by the Holy Spirit to build up one another, to bring benefit, to enrich our lives. And unlike some people who believe that these gifts are designed for the four walls of the church, it isn't true. These are marketplace gifts. These are gifts that are operational both in the church And beyond the church, as the church goes into the world to become what Jesus Christ called the church to be, his representation here on earth. Remember the words of John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so I am what? Sending you. Then he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Spirit, because you're not going to go in your power. You'll never be able to do it in your power. You're going to need my arsenal. You're going to need my equipment. You're going to need all of the gifts that I have, which is a third thing that I think is noteworthy here. When a person comes to faith in Christ, a person has the Holy Spirit resident within them. That's very significant. We are transformed by an act of the Holy Spirit who converts and transforms us and brings the spirit of Jesus Christ to live within our hearts, within our lives. He becomes the leader of our life, but it is the act of the Holy Spirit working in us that makes this transformation possible. Which brings me to one final fourth, very important thing that is often misunderstood about these manifestation gifts. People are not given one of these gifts. These gifts are a part of the person of the Holy Spirit, which means if you are born again, if you have the Holy Spirit resident within you, God at any time by his Spirit can operate in any one of those gifts that he chooses. It is all contingent upon our faith in God and our faithfulness to God. The only limit that we place on God is the limit we place on God. The only limit of the gifts are the limits we place on Him and we place on ourselves. And here's why that is so important. There are people that have used this list to claim one of these gifts, just like the ministry gifts. They've used these to claim it as their own. I've read people walk around and, and make these statements I have the gift of healing, or I have the gift of miracles. Or I have the gift of knowledge. Or I have the gift of discerning of spirits. Now, there may be an operation of one of those gifts that's more prominent in your life. But here's the reality. God, at any single time, can use anyone who's faithful to him to operate in any of those gifts. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have them all. You are not limited to just one. And regardless of your theological or your church background, that should get your attention. That's how much God loved us. That he gave all the gifts by his Holy Spirit to operate within us. Let me illustrate. The executive director of the organization that I've I've been serving with, Equip Leadership Canada, Mark Middleton, Mark Middleton has a Baptist background, theologically speaking. But he works with various nations of the world. He works with leaders from different theological constructs. And so he's a guy that understands the power, the movement of God in in that he's experienced it from time to time. One of the opportunities that he's been prayerfully considering is the Assemblies of God organization in Egypt has invited Equip Leadership Canada to come in and to do training. In fact, they have said, we want Equip Leadership Canada to come and teach all of our pastors this material. We want to learn it all. And he's been praying about this. And a number of months ago, he was in England, part of a leadership training process, working with his point of contact in England, And at the end of a prayer time, finishing up their leadership training, a man who is a man he's been working with there in England came up to him and said, Mark, I think I have a word from the Lord for you. Did I mention he's of a Baptist theological background? Baptists don't generally do spiritual gifts well. And so this man said, as you were praying, as we were praying to close, here's what I saw. I saw a group of people like sheep headed in the wrong direction. And someone came and stood in front of them and said, you're going in the wrong direction. We need to turn you around and go in this direction. That was all the man said. He said, I I thanked him for it. I went on my way and I didn't give it much more thought. Several weeks later, he was talking with his point of contact, the connection between Equip Leadership Canada and the Egyptian Assemblies of God. And he said to the point of contact, he said, tell me, how would you describe the Assemblies of God in Egypt? And he said, well, here's the best way I could describe it. They're like a group of sheep moving in the wrong direction. And they need someone to come and stand in front of them and point them in the right direction. He said the hair on the back of his head stood straight up. That's an illustration of God's Spirit moving in a person's life and through an individual at a point and a moment of need where they needed to hear from God. It didn't happen announced before the church. There was no fanfare about it. He just came to him privately and said, the Lord, I believe, has impressed my heart with a word for you. And he left it to him because at the end of the day, we are called to be obedient with what God has given us. We are not called to control or manipulate. We are not called to use the gifts in a way that is divisive or in a way that is, again, controlling or manipulative. We are to use the gifts in a way that is stewarding the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's how Paul said this in verse number 11. He really illustrates this powerfully. All these are what? The work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So none of us can claim that we have one of those gifts as our primary or own solo gift. The reality is if you are born again, if you are filled with God's Spirit, God says you have all of those gifts, they can operate in you at any time because they all come by the person and the nature of the Holy Spirit. And that should humble us. And that should help us to be reminded that all of us here, that God wants to use our lives in any way that He so chooses. And so as we close this morning, I think there are several real important kind of points and takeaways about spiritual gifts I want you to know. First of all, spiritual gifts are not given to select individuals. They're given to all believers. That's important. Secondly, spiritual gifts are not given so that we can show off. They are given so that we can serve one another. Thirdly, You do not achieve spiritual gifts, you receive them as an act of God's grace. Fourthly, spiritual gifts are intended to move us toward maturity and ministry. And finally, spiritual gifts must be unpacked and unwrapped, they must be developed. They must be deployed. They must be used as God enables. I want to close with one final quote this morning, and then we're going to pray. In his book, The River Must Flow, W.I. Evans says this The need of Christian people is not primarily to pray for the gifts, gifts are here. Our need is to seek God and press into God in living faith so that the gifts lying around dormant, enough to set the world on fire, may come into existence. So there are two things you can do this morning and I would encourage you to do. First of all, on our website, if you go to our resource link on our landing page, there you will find a gift assessment. If you have never... Taking a gift assessment, it's not a conclusive list. It's not a list that uh, goes over every single gift. In fact, I don't think in the scripture these are exhaustive lists. I think what they are intended to be are illustrations of the way God moves in our lives. But on our website, you can get at least a running start in this area of spiritual gifts. If you've never done an assessment, if you're unclear about maybe how God has gifted you the way God wants to use you, I'd encourage you to go out. Check out our spiritual gift assessment. Might be a good starting point. Secondly, I want to remind you about one prayer tomorrow night. The need is not to seek the gifts. The need is to seek God. And as we seek God, what God will do is God will use us and God will empower us and He will enable us as we follow His leadership. Paul said, and I concur, we do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be uninformed. And we bring this to the Lord humbly and say, God, thank you for your gifts. Now help us to honor you in them. Stand, please, as we pray this morning. To God be the glory. Great things, Lord, you have done this morning. Thank you for the time of singing and celebrating your love for us. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the reminders of how deep and how wide and how high is the love of God for us. When I think about the things that you have bestowed upon us, Lord, I'm humbled. And I pray today that you'll help each one of us to open and yield our lives to you and say, Lord, we want to be full vessels available for you to work in us. Thank you for these packages of gifts. Thank you, God, for how you have given them to us. Help us, I pray, to open our minds and our hearts to the way that you want to take us to a deeper, more meaningful place in our relationship with you. We love you, God. We honor you. and We pray that you'll continue to breathe into Grace Crossing Church, to make us a church that is alive and full of your spirit in the way that we operate and serve and love one another. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.